0: With me to Ruth 3. We are in Ruth 3 today in our series, The Book of Ruth. And while you're turning there, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Pastor Steve and me. When Pastor Steve and I first met, uh, I was actually dating somebody else, another young man. And uh, very soon after that, (laughs) I broke up with Bob and started dating Steve. He was Steve then, he wasn't Pastor Steve yet. And we had a commitment as friends, but there was no real permanent thing yet, because we were just dating. And then after dating a while, we got engaged, and the engagement meant that we were no longer uh, available to date other people. That was more of an exclusive relationship then, and we, we really didn't want to date anybody else anyway, but but uh, only each other at that point. And then after six more months, we got married, and marriage is really an exclusive relationship, isn't it? I mean, when you're married, you uh, want to just be with that other person till death do us part, right? That's, That's the commitment you make when you get married. So how many of you have been in an exclusive relationship before? Just raise your hand if you've been in an exclusive relationship. Okay. And when you were in that exclusive relationship, would you say you didn't want to date anybody else? Yeah, you, you want to be just for that person, right? Uh, wedding vows in marriage actually talk about that. And in, in maybe you had... Vows you wrote or maybe you had vows that the pastor told you to say I don't know what your vows were But a lot of them talk about giving yourself fully to that other person as long as you should live And it's one of separation from other relationships And just being with each other and the Bible talks about that cleaving together to leave the other Relationships and cleave to each other Okay, so today in Ruth 3, we are talking about a time of separation also. Uh, it's a little different slant on it, but as we read Ruth 3 and talk about it, you will see that we are talking about a place of separation. So let's read beginning in verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, "'My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. "'Now Boaz, with whom, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours.' Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put perfume on, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a kinsman redeemer of our family there is another who is more closely related than i stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your kinsman redeemer good let him redeem you but if he is not willing as surely as the lord lives i will do it lie here until morning so she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognized and he said no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor "'He also said, "'Bring the shawl you are wearing and hold it out.' "'When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley "'and placed the bundle on her. "'Then he went back to town. "'When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, "'How did it go, my daughter?' "'Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, "'He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, "'Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed.' "'Then Naomi said, "'Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens.' For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So as we see this passage today, it takes place on a threshing floor. And the threshing floor actually symbolizes a place of separation. The grain is separated from the rest of the plant, from the rest of the stock. And in order to process the grain, they separate it from the rest of the plant. And at the close of Ruth, 2, we find out that Ruth is gleaning in those fields of Boaz for both the wheat harvest and the barley harvest. So she's there for about two months, and uh, the threshing floor would have been part of that process. That would have been where uh, there was this place, it was a large, flat surface, a threshing floor was. It was smooth and very hard because it was usually paved Uh, It was circular usually, and after the sheaves were cut and gathered, uh, they would spread them out on this floor, and then the farmers would have oxen or cattle pull a large heavy board, which is called a threshing sledge, and it would have flints in it, and so it would be pulled around and around, and when it went around, it would loosen that grain from the chaff or from the rest of the plant, and it would rub the seed out, and it would chop up the chaff. And interestingly, the word for that sledge in Latin is tribulum, tribulum. And the repeated pressure of that sledge going over and over would loosen the chaff from the grain. In Isaiah, it talks about these sledges. Isaiah 41, 15 said, see, I will make you, and he's talking, God is talking to Israel here, into a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth, you will... Thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. So uh, it's, a, it's a symbolical thing that's used as well as a real thing that's used. And it had sharp metal pieces or flints, as we read here in Isaiah. They were attached onto the bottom of the, the sledge. And then the, they would cut that stalk and grind it down, reducing the stock except for that, that grain that was there, into what is called chaff. And it's interesting about that word tribulum. It means to rub or turn. And this word is also found in other historical accounts. When you Google tribulum, it'll pull up some stuff. And one of them talked about a tribulum or a property tax that was being imposed on these people. And it was to show them that the uh, people in charge were in charge. It would be like showing them that they were ruling over them. So they imposed a tribulum to weaken those people. And when we go through trials or tribulation, God allows these to loosen the moral chaff on us. And it's not to crush us, but it's to just take that time of separation, to remove off of us the stuff, the spiritual chaff uh, that is in our lives. Turn right now to your neighbor and say, what are some of the examples of tribulums in your life what is an example or your life or someone you know things you have seen of tribulums in the lives of people anybody have an example of something you've seen in somebody else's life of his tribulum what are tribulums God uses okay (laughs) so I'm sure you're all thinking of things that has happened in your own life and uh, yeah, they're, they're those things that God uses And sometimes we look at them and say why is this happening But but God is saying I'm using this to make you more into the image of Jesus Christ And someday with that theme of the harvest With that theme of, of uh, separation Jesus spoke of it in the time of tribulation And tribulation and tribulum are from that same root word in Latin and uh, Matthew 13:38 and 39 said, The field's the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And he goes on to talk about how he's going to reap the harvest and separate, even there, the weeds from the, from the, the grain, and uh, goes on to separate all the other things through the tribulation. So this threshing floor concept and the harvest concept are really big in prophecy, as you know, and they're part of God's plan. And so to continue on with talking about what was going on at the threshing floor when Ruth went down, they were winnowing the uh, the grain. And what that means is after they had threshed the grain with the sledge, with that tribulum, they would use the winnowing fork, which was like, Uh, a thing that was a large rake-like tool called a fork or sometimes it's called a fan and they lift the the whole pile up and toss it up into the wind and the wind blows away the chaff and what falls to the ground is the heavier part the grain and so this was a community event people would get together at the threshing floor they would winnow the the grain and they would and the chaff would blow off and um so it was, a, it was a thing where Naomi knew that when she was telling Ruth to go there, there would be plenty of people there and Boaz would be there too. And these hilltops were where the threshing floors were because they needed the wind to actually blow as they would toss this up. And the time when in that area when the winds would blow the strongest is usually in mid-afternoon through sunset. And so this is a time when, when Ruth is sent there Whether they're doing this job and then they're having the evening meal together, and then Boaz is going to sleep. John the Baptist also uses in the New Testament the image of the threshing floor and winnowing when he describes the coming Messiah and the events at the end of the age. In Matthew 3, verse 11 and 12, he says, His winnowing fork is in his hand. And this is talking of Jesus. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then after this winnowing process, there was one more thing that they would do. They would sieve the wheat, sieve the grain. And so what that was is, is kind of like a, it looks a little like a colander. It's a sieve which has little holes in it. And so they would take the, the wheat and, or the barley and they would shake it and shake out all of the little bits of dirt and the little bits of uh, chaff that were still there that hadn't blown away, and then that would leave just the pure grain. And Jesus told Peter before the cross that Satan... In Luke 22, Satan is going to sift you as wheat. And that word for sift, that's the same word that's used when it's talking about sieving or sifting the grain. And so when God is doing that, there's a little shaking in our lives, a little thing, little stuff going on. And and it's sometimes there to remove off even more of the stuff in our life that God doesn't want there. And so Jesus was telling Peter that Satan had permission to sift his character. At that time to remove off of him to reveal the things in his life that needed to go. And the sieve then is used to remove all of that and leave just the pure grain. Well, Jesus told us too that we we're going to have tribulation in the world. And he said that in John sixteen thirty three. I told you these things so you would have peace. In this world, you will have trouble or tribulation, but overcome. I've overcome the world. So that tribulation that puts pressure on us, that um, the trials that repeatedly rub us or, or put pressure on us, and the shaking that goes on sometimes in our life, that is there by God to remove the chaff, to remove the junk. But Jesus said, don't worry, I've overcome the world. So as we submit to him during those times, all that stuff is just there to help us become more like him. When we come to the Father, pure and clean and when we turn to jesus christ um, and leave ourselves in his hands because of what he's done for us then the wind of that holy spirit in our life can blow on us and remove off all the chaff and leave us with just that fruit that god desires for us to have so ruth is here at the end of the harvest, at the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and over a couple of months, remember uh, from last week, uh, Pastor Steve talking about that, Ruth would go eat with the workers, and so she would be there with his, his people, his team, and he no doubt was there too. And so over that time, Ruth and Boaz probably interacted a little bit. You know, They got to know each other a little better, and it uh, was in this group setting though. And then the thing that Naomi is telling Ruth to do now, to go down and to basically uh, come and, and be there at night uh, when Boaz lies down to sleep, it sounds a little risky to us, doesn't it? It sounds like, what? You know, you're kind of wondering. In our culture, that would not be a cool thing. We wouldn't do that. But at that time, and how she's telling her to do this, it's actually a very acceptable, culturally appropriate thing. And the request that Naomi is telling Ruth to ask is an honorable one. And you can tell here by reading that Ruth actually respects what her mother-in-law is asking her to do. So she's saying, okay, yep, I'm going to do whatever you say. She goes down to the threshing floor and she waits for the right moment. Just like her mother-in-law told her, just wait and then go do that. So the threshing is done. Everyone eats a good meal together. And then in verse 7, it says, Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. He's, he's feeling good about the process, what's happened. He's enjoyed the company, the, the time together, and he lies down to, at the far end of the grain pile. And so this, he's a wealthy man, remember, so this would have been a pretty substantial grain pile. He goes and lies down there and apparently goes to sleep. Now, this was not uncommon for a landowner to do either. They would stay there overnight to protect the crop, and so he goes there and lies down. And then Ruth, like her mother-in-law has instructed her to do, quietly approaches and uncovers his feet. He's got a blanket over him. She uncovers his feet or, or maybe his garment is over him, uncovers his feet and lies down by them. Well, now I can tell you what, when Pastor Steve and I were dating and, and, and getting engaged, I would not have laid down at his bare feet at night as any part of the engagement process. And I'm sure you wouldn't want to have to have done that either, right? And uh, I mean, stinky feet, right? Walking around all day doing work. And then so she uncovers them and lies down by him. And uh, it doesn't tell us how long, but sometime later in the night, Boaz gets startled and wakes up. And maybe he's moving around. You know, everybody moves a little in their sleep. Maybe he moved around and his foot bumped her. And he was like, whoa, who is there? And it's dark. He can't see who it is. And Ruth answers, I am your servant, Ruth. And what she says next to him is actually like a wedding proposal to Boaz. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. And it's asking Boaz to place her under his protection in a relationship of marriage because he is the king'sman redeemer. And the word here for corner of your garment is actually the same word as we talked about last week in chapter 2. Ruth 2.12 says, May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That word in Hebrew, kanaf, means covering. And it can be translated wings or or hem of garment or corner of garment is symbolizes covering or protection and security in Ruth 12 he's talking about security in the wings of the Lord God of Israel in this chapter chapter 3 Ruth is talking about the security and the protection of marriage the same words used in Ezekiel when God is speaking to Israel about a marriage covenant with them Uh, he's saying symbolically it's like a you are my people. It's like it's like a covenant of marriage, and he's saying that I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered you. And so God speaks of this same kanaf word, talking about His relationship with Israel. And then God talks to us about the end time, and it uses this word in Malachi four one and two. It talks about how the end of the of the age, the day is coming, burning like an oven. All the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble or chaff. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. With healing in his kenaf. It's his protection over us. Healing in his wings means there's healing for everything that we have gone through. Everything we have had to deal with in our life. When we come to be with the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of our, our lives or when we are raptured, that time God spreads his protection, his comfort over us, and there's healing in that. And there's even healing now in our relationship with him as he is our protection, he is our covering. So Ruth asked Boaz to cover her with the hem of his garment. And this symbolized she would be under his protection in the protection of marriage. And Boaz, he's like, it sounds like he's just blown away. He can hardly believe it. He says, "Wow, this kindness or this loyalty is greater than anything you've shown before. This this shows more favor on you than ever before," and he's honored and surprised by this request for marriage. Uh, he he accepts it, but he ha- says he would have assumed that she would have preferred a younger man, basically. And you haven't gone after younger men. Like, like that's what he would expect, you know? And this means Boaz is probably older than Ruth. You know, he's probably several years older than her. And, and he's, even though he's a wealthy man, he's not yet married, but he had sort of discounted himself as being someone that he, you know, would marry someone like Ruth. And sometimes there are plans for us, and even though they seem to be off in a distance... Uh, We don't see how they'll come to pass yet, but God is preparing us and preserving us for that time. And God was keeping Boaz for Ruth. He was keeping him for when Ruth would be there. He wasn't married because God had Boaz set apart for Ruth. And there are blessings and people in our life that are not yet revealed for what they are. Just think about that. We may not even know these people yet, but God has a special blessing or a special relationship waiting for us for just the right time and the right place. Had Ruth not gone to Bethlehem, think about that. What if she let herself be talked out of going there? Had she not followed what God had told her to do, she wouldn't have the blessings of God in her life that he had for her. Is there an area of your life that you can think of today? Something's not yet revealed, but you know God has spoken to you about it, and you're seeking God for it. Is there something out there that you still haven't seen yet? And I would encourage you today that just like Ruth, just like Boaz, trust God and follow him. Be separated from the hindrances of the past and go forward in Jesus Christ because God has that thing for you. Just wait and trust in him. So Boaz accepts the offer of marriage. And he praises Ruth for who she is. He says, wow, you know what? In the town gate, all talk of you is good. Uh, You are a virtuous woman. You have a good reputation. And so... Um, she must have been noticed by the people in the town remember we said this is a smaller town maybe about 200 people and all the talk about her is good she's a she's a woman who is following God and she has a good reputation the people in the town gate where the rulers and leaders would go and talk about matters are saying well that Ruth is really an awesome woman. She is helping Naomi. She's really selfless. She's really giving of herself. And so the talk of her is good. And, and Boaz says, wow, you know, this is great. You are doing the things that God has put in front of you to do. You, are, you have a good reputation. And while we wait for our moment, While we are waiting for the thing that God has for us, when God has spoken to you about a thing in the future, when God has put a thing within your heart, the desire of your heart to see him do in your life, don't just sit and wait. Ruth didn't sit and wait. She did what God put in front of her to do each day. And she didn't say, it's beneath me to go glean. She said, I can do this. And so she did that day after day. For, for two months until God revealed the next part of the plan. And we need to wait and do what's in front of us to do and not allow the waiting to jade us or make us bitter because God hasn't answered that prayer yet. We need to wait on him. Ruth had a good attitude. People noticed her, and so did Boaz. And Boaz had certainly thought, well, I'm a little too old to marry her but what an awesome woman, and uh, he was so happy, I think, to accept that offer of being the kinsman redeemer of the offer of marriage, but then he throws kind of a little wrench in the deal, you know, it's kind of like a movie, right, you know, girl meets boy, boy likes girl, girl says about, let's get married, and then he says, oh, wait a minute, verse 12, There's another relative closer than I. Uh, Sorry, I'm going to have to go talk to him first. So he's an honorable man. He says, I'm going to go talk to the the closer relative and see if he wants to redeem. And if he doesn't, I will. So (laughs) he's excited about it. So Ruth spends the rest of the night there, and it's an innocent thing. It's a public place. There's no hanky-panky going on. But just to make sure nobody thinks there is, she leaves early in the morning and heads home. Uh, but not before Boaz blesses her with six measures of grain and sends her home. Now six measures of grain would have been like six sias, which would have been about 60 pounds. It says he put it on her. So he probably took the shawl, wrapped it up, and stuck it on her back, and she walking home with 60 pounds to, of grain. How cool, you know? What a blessing. So Ruth returns to Naomi. And what's the thing Naomi asks? It's the question, Every mom is going to ask their daughter after a date. Well, how did it go? (laughs) How did it go? And so she's saying, tell me about your date. So I can just imagine. And if you were the mom or the mom-in-law, you'd be excited to hear all those details too, wouldn't you? And so Naomi sits down with her and listens to the story. Ruth tells her everything that's happened, to which Naomi says, okay, now, what you have to do is wait. Just have to be patient and wait. Wait until you find out what's happened. So the plan's in motion, and they're waiting, and Boaz, we've learned from this, has hurried off to the town gate to see if he can become the kinsman redeemer. And next week, Pastor Steve will tell us the next part of that story. So what's our takeaway from today? What do we learn from the threshing floor about the place of separation for us in our lives? Well, The thing we want to do is be in that place of separation where God can actually mold and make us into who he wants us to be. To separate off the things that are not part of his plan. So how do we be in a place of separation? Well, the first thing, we need to have an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore, come out from them and be separate. See, God wants us to be separate from the things of the world that when we come to him and make him our Lord and Savior and ask him to come into our hearts and lives that we then lay down the other stuff and just follow him. If you're chasing after or involved in something that is not helping you get closer to God and in fact is pulling you farther away, that's the thing he's talking about. Come out from that and be separate. Lay that down because Jesus Christ needs to be the one in first place in our life. Don't be involved in things that are pulling you away, that are like being gods, other gods in your life. Have no other gods before me is what God says to us. So we need to start and end our day in time with him to pray and to read his word and to get his input as we start each day and meditate on that throughout the day and do what he calls us to do, to have that exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. And then after that are the rest of our relationships with our family and with our job and ministry. Whatever it is, Jesus Christ needs to come first. And the second thing is we need to see our trials as removal of spiritual chaff. The tribulum in our life is the trials and tests that we face. And they put pressure on us. But I'll tell you what, if you look at that and say, God, use this in my life to get rid of the stuff that's not part of the plan. Use that, Lord, to help me get closer to you. and, And use that, Lord, to remove off of me the things you don't want then we see that in the way that God intends. In James 1, 2 to 5, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So see, those trials, that's to, to grow our character, to grow us into the people that God wants us to be. Because if we have a call on our lives which all of us do god has to develop us to be able to receive that call to be able to support what he's put on us to do and part of that's going to be that tribulum coming across every now and then to remove the stuff that's not right when you're in those times just look to jesus and ask him for the guidance and wisdom to get through and ask him To remove anything that's not honoring to him. Ask him to help you be more like Jesus Christ. Ask him to remove any attitudes or behaviors or even ideas and plans that are not from him. So have that exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. See the trials as removal of the chaff. And then third, allow the Holy Spirit to shake off anything that hinders That winnowing of the wind of the Holy Spirit, the shaking of the sieve of being in his presence is designed to remove anything in us that's hindering us or holding us back from what he's designed us to do. Hebrews 12 in the Amplified verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us see he says weight and sin because sometimes we can be doing some really good things but god says that's not for you that's not what i want you to be doing right now you know you got to lay that down too I want, and, and these can be things that are even ministry things. But if God has not called you to do them, and you are doing them, you do not have his provision, you do not have his power, and, and they are actually holding you back from the real call on your life. So as God reveals these things to us, as God shows us and tells us, I want you to lay that down. I want you to move on from that. We need to be willing to do that. Allow that Holy Spirit... Wind and winnowing in our lives, sifting in our lives to remove off anything that is not of him. James 5, 7, and 8 then says, Be patient, then brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So we need to patiently allow him to work in our lives. We need to say, Lord, I allow you to change me into the image of Jesus Christ. See, God's not going to do it if you're holding back and hanging on to stuff. You need to allow him, release that stuff to him. And today, just like Ruth, we have a kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ. And he's calling us to that threshing floor to be with him, our bridegroom, our kinsman redeemer. And just like the kinsman redeemer in the time of the Old Testament did things like helping to reacquire lost property, redeeming relatives in slavery, avenging relatives who died at the hands of others, and alleviating wrongs, Jesus does the same for us. I mean... Jesus, he helps us take back what the devil stole from us, right? Yeah, he restores what sin destroyed. And he proclaims freedom from the cap- for the captives. He says, uh, you've been mourning, but now you are being blessed and you are going to have a garment of praise. He avenges the wrongs that the enemy has put on us. And he alleviates our suffering. When we're separated to him, when it's more than just a casual relationship when we're really surrendered we're not just sitting with others at the time of the harvest who are not fully committed to him when we're separated to him then his power and his blessings are released in our lives and with his protection and covering over us we become what he's created us to be would you stand as we close God provided a way for each of us to be restored to him And he provided a way to recover what the enemy stole And some of you in your lives may say yeah the enemy has stolen things from me And I want to recover those and the lord has said that is who he is to us That he recovers the things the enemy stole He will remove off of us the stuff that the enemy has tried to put on us that chaff of sin and he will restore what sin has destroyed in our life. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And that's what we're claiming in our lives today: that we have that full, abundant life because Jesus Christ has died on the cross and has our salvation. He is our kinsman redeemer. Let's just bow our heads. No one looking around. How many of you would say, yes, God. I see there's a tribulum you're using in my life right now. I can see it. And just separate the chaff off of me. Lord God, I want the fruit, the grain that you desire in my life. How many of you would say, I want that. I want what you have for me. Just raise your hand. Thank you, God. If you want to submit your life and be all in. In that relationship with Jesus Christ. Just make that commitment today. Just say Lord God I want that for me. Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Our savior. Our protector. He removes off of us anything the enemy wants to put on us. And he renews us and restores us. Let's pray. Lord God I thank you. I thank you Father that you sent Jesus Christ to be our kinsman redeemer, to redeem us from the enemy, that he no longer has power in our life, that the sin and the effect of it in our life has no power over us anymore when we are submitted to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, that you have destroyed the works of the enemy, that you have proclaimed freedom for the captive. Lord God, I pray that in each of our lives, that the things that the enemy has tried to steal from us, the things that you would desire for us to have in our lives, Lord God, that you would win those back for us, that right now as we uh, surrender to you, as we allow that tribulum of, of your work in our lives to remove off the junk, Lord, that you would reveal that fruit, that you would reveal those things that you want for us lord god i thank you that that removal takes us out of the plight of the enemy that that renewal puts us in your protection lord god that you put us in a restored position of fellowship with you father And we know because of that position we have in you that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. We have no fear of the things of the world because greater are you, Lord God, within us than anything the world can send against us. And Lord God, that we can claim your word that we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. We commit this to you. Amen.